Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. So we're still in our series, What Three Words? We're looking at three words that, that kind of anchor us to a particular place in God, not on the planet, in God. And uh, we've had some great ones so far. And, uh, and, and I changed what we were going to do because I felt like I needed to do something a little bit different to the plan that we made ages ago. But before I do that, <clears throat> there's a movie called The Chronicles of Narnia 2. And there's a scene in The Chronicles of Narnia that I remember laughing out loud. It wasn't supposed to be funny, but I remember laughing out loud in the scene just because it was something that happened. So they're, they're sat in the, they're not sat, they're kind of gathered around in this safe kind of cave place. And they're all deciding we need to, we need to go on a mission to, uh, to help our friends. And so they've decided this will be quite a dangerous mission. And they realize that some of them may not make it through. But they're trying to G each other up. We can do this. We can do this. And then Reapy Cheap, who's uh, an amazing character, if you're looking at me thinking, I don't know what this is all about, you must read the Chronicles of Narnia. It is incredible. So Reapy Cheap steps up, and he takes his sword out, and he says, for Aslan. And then, and this is the bit that made me laugh, then in the background, there's a massive bear who said nothing in the whole film. He's just in the background, massive bear. And he, he stands up and he says, and he has the best, is the best voice. He goes, for Aslan. And that made me laugh out loud because for some reason, a bear, a, a creepy cheap saying for Aslan is not funny, but a bear just saying for Aslan just made me laugh. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about that attitude that says, I'm doing this for someone else. And the what three words, brace yourself, because for some of you, it might be a bit religious, are, this, are these, for God's sake. For God's sake. Now, the reason some of you had a little flutter then when I said that is because we're used to it being something that people say kind of blasphemously, kind of disrespectfully, kind of when something goes wrong, for God's sake. But you see, earlier on, when people would use that phrase, what they were saying was, will you do this for God's sake? For, not for yourself, but for God's sake. And the phrase has kind of been distorted over the years, and now people just use it as a, as a way to, to express distaste or to express frustration. But actually, the challenge for us is the, the phrase, for the sake of His name, or, or phrases that are similar to that appear so many times in Scripture. So many times in Scripture, Psalm 23, verse 3, it says, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness so that I can feel good about myself. It doesn't say that. He says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. For His name's sake. Now, it can mean a few different things. Um, the Hebrew word means on account of or as well as for the sake of. So it's basically saying God does things on our behalf on account of his name or because of who he is. He leads me in the paths of righteousness because of who he is. He leads me in the paths of righteousness because of who he is. He does it because that's what he is like. So the passages that refer to God 
when it talks about for the sake of his name, those passages are there explaining to us that this is who God is. This is what God is like. 1 Samuel 12 verse 22 says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. He does that because that's who he is. Psalm 25 verse 11 says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. So because of who you are, Will you pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Now, if you find that phrase, for the sake of your name, or for his name's sake, anywhere else, and it's to do with someone other than God in, the, in that verse, then it means on account of God's name, or because of his reputation. So, two examples, Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, it says, You'll be hated by all for my... It's a very encouraging thing Jesus was saying to his disciples. Very encouraging. They were, they were lifted up on that day. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. So he's saying you'll be hated by all because of my name, on account of my name, because of who I am, because of my reputation, you will be hated by all, but he who endures to the end will be saved. So there's a bit of encouragement in the end there. John 15 verse 21 says, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake or because of my name or on account of who I am because they do not know him who sent me. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about all of these different aspects, these verses that talk about for God's sake. But I want to hone in on a particular aspect of it. Revelation chapter 2, verse 3 says, You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You have persevered, have patience, have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. So the big question for us today is, are you living for God's sake? And in fact, I'd like to phrase it a bit differently because it's a bit more in your face when I say, what are you doing for God's sake? What are you doing for God's sake? Uh, Fred Craddock is a, a, a preacher and a teacher in the university in America, he teaches, particularly in the Bible College, a professor of New Testament and preaching. And he was speaking to ministers, and he said this thing that I find really challenging and uh, also really encouraging at the same time. So he's speaking to ministers, they were just finishing their course, and the reason I'm telling you is because here at Life Church, we believe that everyone is a minister to some regard. It isn't just the people at the front who have the microphone from time to time who, who are considered ministers. Everyone who carries God's presence and who loves Jesus, you are a minister. The Bible calls us a royal priesthood, so you are a priest. You don't have to wear fancy robes, although that would be interesting if we made that a rule. On Sunday, please don't turn up unless you've got your fancy robes. That would be great. But no, you don't have to wear fancy robes. The Bible says we are a royal priesthood. So even though Fred Craddock was saying this to ministers, I'm saying this to us all. He says, to give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. That's what we think. We think, oh, to just do that one amazing thing for God, that would be great. That's what I'm living for. That's what I'm aiming for. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a thousand pounds, laying it on the table and saying, here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. The reality for most of us is that God then sends us to the bank and has us cash in the thousand pounds for 50 Ps. 
And then we go through life putting out 50p there, 50p there. Listening to the neighbor's kid's trouble instead of saying, go away. Going to a meeting, giving a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually, giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 50p at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. That's how we live, for God's sake. Moment by moment, moment by moment. It's easy for us to think about one significant moment of surrender because we're thinking about one moment And it's easy maybe to consider just one moment. But actually, (coughs) if we are declaring that we are living for God's sake, then it needs to be something that happens on a daily basis. The Bible has lots lots of examples of people who lived for God's sake. In uh, Psalm 19, David ends Psalm 19 by saying this statement. He says, and you may have seen this. It's not the kind of, it doesn't uh, replace live, laugh, love people have in their houses. But, but uh, people who are old school will have this in their walls, I'm sure. It says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Yeah, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. What David is saying is, God, may everything I say and everything I think be acceptable to you. Everything I say and everything I think. That is living for God's sake. Everything I say and everything I think. Because our actions are controlled by the things that we think. I mean, you think you could have added on everything I say, everything I think, everything I do. We could have made a big list, but I think he covers it well. I like this because the Bible refers to David later on as a man after God's own heart. And I like that because he was not perfect. He made some mistakes. I mean, he made some proper mistakes. And, you know, he... he, He had someone killed. He slept with someone else's wife. He was a terrible dad. He made some bad mistakes. But the direction of his heart was towards God. And he said these words, May everything I say and everything I think be acceptable to you, God. My soul longs after you. Your love is better than life. These are the things that David said. And they reflect the fact that he was doing his best to live for God's sake. It also means that we ensure that the way we live and the things we do don't reflect negatively on God. Now, I'm not a huge cricket fan, but there was lots of issues in the world of cricket because the phrase is, some cricketers brought the game into disrepute. Yeah, you may have heard that phrase, into disrepute. The way they were living and the way they were behaving um, brought a, an aspect of negative reputation to the whole, the whole game. There is a sense of an acceptable mode of behavior. In the Old Testament time, there was a group of people who had to live by a strict code, very strict code. They were called the Levites. They were set apart from God to run the temple and all the rituals that God's people were required to do. Everything they did was for God's sake. And they had clear guidelines on what was acceptable and what was not. I am pleased that we don't have to follow the things that are written in the book of Leviticus. Because, I mean, I would just definitely make a mistake at some point. I would just get the order of things wrong. I, w- I, would, I, just, I would just mess it up. And so I'm really pleased that we don't have to live following that strict code, uh, that strict guideline that they had to follow. But the book of Peter refers to, as I mentioned already, that we are, those of us who know Jesus, are priests. 
We don't have to follow the same rituals, but there is still a code of behavior to represent our king. So is your life, and it's a question for me as well, is your life adding to the reputation of God's name or is it bringing it into disrepute? Is your life adding to the reputation of God's name or is it bringing it into disrepute? By this, men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you, that's what Jesus said. If you love one another. So living for God's sake has to have evidence. You can't say I'm living for God's sake, but then there's no evidence of that in your life. In fact, we should be able to tell you you're living for God's sake by the way that you're living rather than the words that you are saying. There should be evidence in who you are, what you're doing, what you're involved in. There should be evidence for the fact that you are living for God's sake. <clears throat> The Apostle Paul is another example of someone who lived for God's sake. He, he has a conversation once, and he loses it, and I love it when Paul loses it, because he, he says great stuff that we can read. I can't remember which letter it is, but he writes a letter, and he's ending the letter, and then he, then he says, basically, you know the letter's coming to an end, and he starts talking about Jesus, and he goes on for another chapter. It's amazing. He just can't, he just can't help himself. So in this, in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, he was getting a bit worked up with people who were saying that they were, they were leaders and they were, they, were, they were helping to run churches and, and they had done so much. And Paul, you can see and you can read it in the, in the passage that he just loses it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 22, he's talking about these other people. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm, I'm a better one. With four more labors, four more imprisonments, four worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers amongst false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cloth, often without food cold and without clothing. Not to mention other things. Come on, Paul, you've said a lot already. Not to mention other things. There's a daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. In Damascus, a ruler under King Aretas guarded the city of Damascus in order to arrest me, so I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Now, big list of things that Paul has gone through. And uh, I don't know what your life is like, but mine is not like that. Yeah, it's not. It's not like that. But he had a passion to see the gospel come to the Gentiles. And so, regardless of what was happening to him, he was able to say, all of this stuff happens, has happened. All of this stuff has happened to me, but I press on, he says in another passage, I press on. Why? Because he wasn't in it for himself. He said in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
So if I'm here, it's great. And if I die and I go to heaven to be with Jesus, it's great. So I don't mind. I'm just pressing on. Why? Because I am someone who is living for God's sake. I am living for God's sake. Living for God's sake carries with it the awareness that we are always visible to Him and our desire is to make Him smile. I was doing a kids camp once. We were talking about worship and I asked the kids to tell me what they thought worship was. <coughs> and, uh, you know, you get the responses that you expect, which is what happens when you do a kids camp. You always get the responses that you expect. So it feels safe because... A child is not going to say something that you think, oh, no, that's heresy. They're going to say the safe things. So what is worship? It's praying. Yeah, it's great. It's singing songs. It's great. Yeah. So kids are saying the things I expect them to say. And then this one little girl, she said something that I wrote down and I've used ever since. She said, worship is anything we do that makes God smile. Anything we do that makes God smile. You know, that moment, I don't know if you've experienced that moment, but I was speechless. I was stood at the front with a microphone like I am now, and I didn't have anything to say because I thought that is absolutely profound and so true. Anything we do that makes God smile. So when we're living for God's sake, that is what we're after. That's what we're chasing. We are chasing, if you like that language, we're chasing the smile of God. Anything we do that makes God smile. We are living for God's sake. Probably our best example in Scripture of someone who lived for God's sake is Jesus. Now, early on, when his, when his parents went to Jerusalem and they had the celebration and then they left, they're traveling for ages, and then they realized Jesus is not with them. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had the, the, the kind of misfortune to lose one of your children. It is a terrible feeling in the pit of your stomach. A terrible feeling in the pit of your stomach. And some parents are probably thinking, if my child is called Wilf, I wish maybe he was still lost. But it's all right, Wilf. It's all right. <laughs> it was Fred that got lost. There was a time where Caitlin got lost because she wandered off in Morrison's. She just decided to wander off and then sit underneath a shelf. So it's a bit difficult to see her. And uh, so we had to go to, the, we had to, go to the, um, the information place, and then they make that announcement, and then staff go to the doors to make sure no child leaves. It's horrible. It's horrible losing a child. It's horrible leaving a child in the car. I've never done that, but apparently that's a horrible thing to do as well. <laughs> what do you mean he has? Don't tell lies, Ethan. But Jesus' parents realized that he wasn't with them. And the way the families would, don't be, don't be all down on Mary and Joseph, the way the families would operate is they just assumed he was with another member of the family because that's how families would work. But when they checked, he wasn't, and then they panicked, and they went back to Jerusalem. And they found him eventually in the temple, listening to the teachers of the law and, and asking questions. And they said, Mary said to him, what, seriously, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he, his answer is, his answer portrays a few things. It portrays that he was quite surprised that they were worried about him. And it, it portrays that he knew who he was and what he was called to do. He said, but didn't you know I must be about my father's business? For even as a child, Jesus knew that he was living for God's sake. 
As an adult, when he was talking to his disciples, he would say things like, I don't say anything other than what I've heard from the Father. I must do the will of him who sent me. I must do the will of him who sent me. And then probably the, the kind of the crux, really, that moment where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's saying, I, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't know if I want to do this. Because he knew what was ahead of him. Is there any other way that this can happen? And then he says, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. He lived and died and rose again for God's sake. So, living for God's sake means His will comes before our wants. His will comes before our wants. And we live in such a way where we're trying to build His reputation, not ours. Because it's not about us. It is not about us. And so it may mean that we start every day declaring that everything we are about to do that day, that we need His strength to do it the way He would do it. It may mean that we reassess our priorities. Does my life reflect that I am living for God's sake? Or does my life reflect that I'm living for my sake? Are the decisions I'm making show that I'm living for the things that God would want? Or are they showing that I'm living for myself? Some things may need to go. Some things may need to be added. But we have to be people who are living for God's sake. Colossians 3 verse 23, I'm going to end with this. Colossians 3 verse 23 says this, Whatever you do, do it as if you were doing it for God. Whatever you do, do it as if you were doing it for God. The great, um, the great prophet Brian Adams, <laughs> try to say that without smiling. The great prophet Brian Adams uh, sums it up for us. If you just do that thing at the end there, Libby, that would be great. I want that ringing in your ears for the rest of the day. Everything I do, I do it for you. Now, he, I don't know, I'm pretty sure he wasn't saying it as a declaration for his life to say, I'm following after God. But we can say those words to say, I am following after you, God. May everything I do be motivated by uh, a desire to do the things that you want me to, that you want me to help me to live for your sake. So, are you living for God's sake? And I don't want you to hear that, that phrase negatively really, anywhere else. I don't wish that on you. But if you do hear it, I want it to challenge you, to remind you. And when I hear it, I want to be reminded, am I living for God's sake? Am I, have I made decisions today that show that I am living for God's sake? Let's pray. <coughs> yeah, Lord, we thank you because there is so much that you have for us. Now, we can get distracted by, by life, we can dis get distracted by the business, by, by all the things that need to be done. We're not saying that stuff doesn't need to be done. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to align our lives with who you are. 
It may be a very small step at a time, and, and we understand that you love us enough to embrace us and to show us that grace. But Lord, as people who love you, as people who are following after you, I pray that our lives would have that evidence that we are living for your sake. And so, like it says in Psalm 23, will you lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake? Will you show us the things that we need to do, the things that we need to let go of, the way that we need to respond to you and to respond to each other so that we can truly say that we're living for your sake. In your name, amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.